as we're continuing study, studying on the subject of prayer, I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 this evening, and we're going to discuss the intercessory prayer. What does it mean to intercede on behalf of others? A book I would highly recommend to you is a book by Dr. Peter Masters entitled The Lord's Pattern for Prayer, where he teaches that whole section on the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, and I've gotten some of the points for this tonight on how to, to pray for others, what things to do as we intercede on behalf of others. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, and we must keep in mind that the kings of that day, the, the Caesars, were Nero and other of the Roman emperors who were ruthless. The government was absolutely hostile to Christianity. At this point, though Christianity was spreading amazingly, the power of the gospel was spreading throughout the Roman Empire, it was still looked at at less than a sect or a cult even. It was looked down upon as one of the worst uh, cancers of Roman society, if you can imagine. And so these folks were taking their lives in their hands, not unlike folks in countries today where it is illegal to worship uh, the Lord and to evangelize. And so that is in the backdrop of Paul's injunction to them to pray for those in authority over them. And he tells them why, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. That doesn't mean that we can just sit on the rocking chair on the front porch and just twiddle away our thumbs, but that we could carry out the ministry, that we could meet and assemble ourselves together and evangelize the lost and send out missionaries, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In verse 5, we see that term mediator, an intercessor. Our Lord came to mediate on behalf, uh, on our behalf to the, to the Lord and to reconcile us to him. And in a like manner, as we intercede for others, we mediate for them. When the Lord saved the New Testament, believers in the New Testament, we are not only kings but priests. In the Old Testament, there was a priesthood, and Christ is now the mediator as far as our salvation is concerned. And yet, we have been given the ministry of priests when we intercede on behalf of other people. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 is a complimentary text to this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, for me that utterance might be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. As we mentioned, the Old Testament priests represented man to God and also represented God to man. He stood as a fence between God and man to remind man of their sinfulness. The very fact that a priest had to mediate on their behalf showed that we were sinners in desperate need of a sinner the desperate need of salvation of a Savior, the very construction of the tabernacle and later the temple, there were fences and signs posted 
the court of women who could only go so far, the court of men, the court of the Gentiles, and even the, the holy place and the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. No one could just go in at any time. In fact, the high priest could only go in his appointment once a year on the day of, of atonement into the holy of holies. And so the Lord Jesus in his glorious work on our behalf has broken down that middle wall of partition and the veil is rent in twain and we can come because of that boldly to the throne of grace, not only for our own personal needs and requests, but the needs of others. In this New Testament age, we, he has made us as believers, kings and priests and unto God, the scripture tells us. We carry out many priestly duties. We offer the sacrifice of praise and, and of prayer and uh, of good works and of giving our, when we give of our tithes and offerings, all these things are acceptable to the Lord and acceptable sacrifices, not for salvation, of course, but they are sacrifices as redeemed priests unto the Lord our God. In our pleading for lost souls, we also occupy a very important part in the Lord's will for the earth and for the salvation of the lost. Let me ask you this evening as we think about this, you as an individual believer, do you carry on a ministry of intercession. Now you've seen in our scripture the different designations of prayer. There are supplications, prayers, intercessions. These are different categories of praying. For example, their prayer specifically means asking for needs primarily. Supplications are time of interceding uh, on behalf of ourselves for needs that we might have as well as other people. But intercessions are specifically praying for the specific needs of others outside of ourselves. We're not careful. Our praying will become so insulary. We have so many pressing needs, and ours we know of uh, first and foremost, don't we? And so our own sins, our own failures, our own needs. But the Lord has commanded us to intercede, and this gets us out of our, our, our almost selfishness, if you will, praying primarily for ourselves. And so I'd ask ourselves tonight, do we carry on a ministry of intercessory prayer? Here in our text, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, it speaks of pleading. Those supplications are, are pleadings and representing others uh, and includes the unsaved and those cruel uh, kings and priests and government leaders and who would be over them, they were to remember them as well. Now, this is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? You can imagine uh, praying for those who were, as the Apostle Paul, when, before his conversion, trying to arrest and to bring people into prison for, for meeting and worshiping for the Lord. And to, to pray for these who are very hostile toward our very faith and hostile toward what we're trying to do. Every believer has both a responsibility and a privilege because the God who commands intercession is undoubtedly moved by it. The Lord would never tell us to do something that is, of course, not in his will, but something that he delights in. And so when he tells us to intercede for one another, it is part of his plan, his economy of getting things done on earth. He's ready to be called upon. Does he not tell us that? Call upon me. And I mean, I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. We see that all through scriptures. And he wants to be asked. He wants us to come before him and urge to show forth his glory and to do his will in answering these requests to save in the mystery of his will. Now, all of us who know the Lord 
were no doubt prayed for. I, I was thinking about that. I wonder, of course, my mother, I'm sure, prayed for me and that I would come to know the Lord and those others. But I wonder who prayed for you, who's instrumental in your coming to know the Lord. You, you might not even know who that was. I remember the prayer meeting one Sunday night. A man said, I'm here, no doubt, because he heard people praying, asking the Lord to save people, bring them in. People who've been listening by way of radio and television, he said the Lord had been convicting his heart to come. And he, when he heard that prayer, his own prayer, he said, Lord, no doubt the, the folks here praying are responsible for me being right with you and being in fellowship with this church. You see how important that is. Now, there, there are several reasons why the Lord gave to all believers the ministry of intercession. Now, not all of us are to teach. We do in private ways, instruction in our family and one another and friends and so forth, but I'm talking about in a public or, or in a, a more, maybe a formal way. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts and abilities, but we're all commanded to pray, and that's something we can do. And first of all, uh, in these reasons why we're commanded, it, it because it, as we've already mentioned, helps us to care more for others. If you have an enemy, if you have someone you're having difficulty with, not only just for this reason, but praying for them softens your heart. And who knows, that would not the Lord soften their heart as well as we bring their requests, their burdens before the throne of grace. And it changes our hearts. It changes the one praying. Now, I'm thinking, and we're going to look at in just a moment, Abraham interceding on behalf of his nephew Lot. Don't you know that Abraham just wanted to... I don't know how to say this, just choke Lot on several occasions. I mean, he was a constant thorn, constantly getting in trouble. Lot's worldliness. Don't you know that grieved Abraham? Every time Abraham thought about Lot living where he was living, why? and he knew Lot's profession of faith, it vexed Abraham. Why didn't that, that, that boy get some sense in his head? Why would he live there? Why is he raising his family there? Why would he be a city councilman in, 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 Lot, in, in Sodom? Why would he go through all that? And so I'm sure, in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, is that no doubt Lot aggravated Moses. But we see Moses pleading for him. Don't you know that that warmed his heart or changed his, his attitude toward Lot? Another reason we're to intercede for others is because it, it focuses us on the mission of Christ and, and putting it as the top priority in life. You and I may have priorities, but we need to, to know what Christ's priority is. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what is the first things in the kingdom of God? What did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And truly, at the, salva- the salvation of lost people ought to be at the top of our list of things that we pray for. There's certain people I am so burdened for. When I wake in the night, when I wake in the morning, there, there, there's a group of people that, that the Lord has placed on my heart that I just intercede for. And I'm not telling you that to, to put myself before you. It just burdens my heart. And I know that these, cat, these folks on this particular list as all lost people if the Lord does not open their heart and bring them to himself. But these are particularly hardened in sin. And I long to see the Lord miraculously move in their heart and life. They, they burden me. And so that enlarges my heart and it causes me and you to focus on what Christ focuses on. That which occupies our, our prayer time and our energy occupies the very soul uh, and it shapes our values and defines what is most important to us. Yes, uh, the, the material things and needs are important, 
But I would dare say that they should not supersede the praying of souls, uh, material things that, that may be needful. We all need material things. But at the very top of our list should be, I would think, intercessions and supplications for all men, even as, this, as Paul puts it here. It causes us to prioritize our lives, our thinking, our spiritual lives in the same way that our Lord looked at it. Another reason for interceding for others is it brings us nearer to Christ. This is what he did. The Bible tells us that he awoke and before dawn often and would go out into a, a deserted place to pray and spent much time in prayer. And we would like to think that and, and know what Christ was praying, that the Bible does give us some examples. For example, in John 17 is a whole record of his intercession for others. And I heard recently, many of you will know that Elizabeth Elliot uh, went home to be with the Lord, a wonderful missionary, and for years we had her on, here on WGIB. And uh, when someone sent me the link that she died, I went there and, and listened to one of her messages uh, to women. And on that message, she was talking about how she organized her prayer life. It's always very interesting to me to know how people do that. I'm very reluctant to share those specifics because sometimes people want a form and they try to emulate a form in a list instead of just praying. But it was very helpful. She said that she had copied out by hand, not that you'd have to do that, but she was just sharing with this group, the prayers of the Bible for other people, the very prayers that Paul paid for the Ephesians or the Colossians. He said sometimes when she didn't know what to pray for a person on her prayer list, she would just use that very prayer that is preserved there in the scripture. They're given there for a reason, you know. And, of course, that's a very good reason to do that and, and to use that. Well, John chapter 17 is a whole chapter of the Lord's intercession on behalf of, of us and is the record of what he's praying for us now in heaven. He's, he's continuing that ministry. His work for our salvation is completed, but he's still praying for us. And the Holy Spirit taking our prayers and, and, and making sense of them. Sometimes we might tonight say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. There may be something, you're, someone your heart is burdened about, but you really don't know what is needed most. Sometimes all you can say is, Lord, just straighten them out or, or bring them to yourself or help them to find the truth. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what they need. And he can take that prayer and we can always say, Lord, make this request what you want it to be. This is my feeble effort of bringing what I know and my limited knowledge. Now, we have a, a large prayer ministry here at the church, and I say large because every day we get prayer requests phoned in and mailed in through the, the, the ministries here. And sometimes those lists just have names, you know, just several names listed down. And when you come to that, there's a card, and it says, please pray for it, and it just has Bob, you know, Sue, just different people listed there. Well, that's perplexing, isn't it? These are real people on someone's heart who have real needs. I always say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what their needs are, but I do pray if they're not saved, they would come to a saving knowledge of you because that's the greatest need anyone would have. And then I ask the Lord because he does know all things. I, I repeat that prayer. I don't even know the, the name. I don't even know the last name, but Lord, you know that name. And this a person is very dear to someone who took the trouble to write it out and, and to mail it in with the postage stamp and all that. And so we, we take time to do that and to intercede. Another reason for interceding 
continually for a number of souls is because it keeps us from being unselfish and centered only on our personal needs, only on our children, our own family, our own church. There's a whole world out there. And interceding, as we've mentioned tonight, we've gone to Romania and prayed in Romania. Our prayers can circle the globe and go all the way to the very throne room of heaven. And so it keeps us from just being in Birmingham, Alabama. There's a church in Romania that needs to be rebuilt and her, her, her fighting with all kinds of obstacles. Uh, as it, and, and we can enter, enter in with their own uh, heart cry and their own uh, needs as we pray for them. And it causes us not to be just self-centered on our prayers. We certainly should pray for ourselves. We certainly should pray for our church. But there are other places and other people who have lost loved ones just like we do. I was thinking of those, those little teenagers whose grandfather intervened and would not let them come anymore. You know, what a sad thing that is. And so we, could, we don't even have to know the names, but God knows the names of those, th- that man. We can ask the Lord to change his heart. Interceding is a ministry that every Christian can perform. Often people will say, I'm burdened about a ministry and I don't know what to do. And uh, they want to do something but don't know what to do. And I'm not being facetious here at all. This is the greatest ministry anybody can have. You don't have to have special training. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to know a lot of stuff. You just have to have a burden and, and, and be willing to sacrifice the time and the comfort and the luxury of doing something else during that time when you call out names before the throne of grace. This is not just a, a religious rigmarole. This is the creator of the universe who knows every hair on every one of those persons' heads, the number of days they're going to live, how close they are to eternity, what spiritual battles they're going through, and we are told to intervene and to help in this way on their behalf. Those who are healthy or homebound, it doesn't matter, either one, you can still pray, young or energetic and elderly and weak, all can, can participate in this. I, I've read where two little ladies were praying for years for revival in their country, and when D.L. Moody, who was unknown in America, was invited to come to England and to Scotland to perform ministry. When he got there, the man who invited him was not to be found. Can you imagine leaving your country, especially in that day, getting on an ocean liner, going across the world several thousand miles, and arriving only to find that you really weren't expected or prepared for, and it just seemed as if question marks, puzzlement, why am I here, why would you, and he felt surely that the Lord had led him there. In the course of events, he came in contact with these two invalid ladies who had been praying and praying and praying, and revival broke out all throughout England and Scotland, and even before Moody was ever even known in this country. And the biographers and all that I've read have traced it back to these two little ladies. When he came and they heard of his ministry, they said, this is the one that we've been praying for. Well, who can estimate, even to this day, the effects of the praying of those two little ladies who could not leave their home? Well, it reminds us that only the Lord can save. You and I can do all kinds of things, but we cannot change a heart, can we? We cannot regenerate a soul. And it shows us with all of our technology and all of our wealth, all of our connections, we still cannot regenerate a soul. 
Only the Lord Jesus can do that. And in salvation, all the glory goes to to the Lord. I mentioned D.L. Moody or someone else. Those are just human instruments that the Lord uses. He used their preaching. But behind the preaching, I want us to see tonight, is the praying of God's people. He sovereignly chooses whom he will to speak his word to them and to make it known to them. But the praying behind the, the worker, the Sunday school teacher, the missionary, the bus worker, the evangelist, the pastor, that part of that ministry, all those who are praying will share into it. And I'll tell you, of the thousands who came into the, the, the kingdom under D.L. Moody's ministry, those two little ladies will share in an eternal reward. Think about that. Eternity alone will reveal the results of this kind of ministry. Only the Lord can save. And as we continually to, to bring souls before the Lord, we can learn to wait on Him. And then we rejoice so greatly when they come to know Him because we know that only the Lord could do it. Whatever circumstances He used, whatever the human in, uh, instrument or the circumstance that brought Him to the Lord, He was behind it all and He used His prayer uh, to do it. What did Paul say there in the, in the verse I read from Ephesians? He said, pray that, it, a, a door, that, that I may open my mouth boldly. When I read that, and Paul mentions that more than once, this evangelist, missionary pioneer who is so educated, knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, who'd personally uh, been commissioned by the Lord, who'd had an unspeakable privilege of actually being translated into heaven. When you put all that together, and still Paul says, please pray that I will be bold when I preach the gospel. That puts such a human side to Paul that we would not see and if Paul the apostle with that experience and that privilege would say please pray for me how much more do our earthly ministers the greatest thing you can do for me as your pastor is to pray for me. I beg you uh, that you would pray for me that the Lord would keep me right and that he would deal with me and that he would open my heart and mind and that he would use the ministry that he, he says, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Even Paul said, it's such a mystery. It's not just some bald facts. It's not just one, two, three. It is the mystery of God's will. The fact that the eternal creator of the universe would come to earth to save sinners. What a mystery that is. And as the Lord told Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, uh, the, the mystery of the new birth. It is indeed a mystery. Our part is to pray, not just to pray. We're to tell as well. We're to use every opportunity to make that known to others. Someone might ask, what does the ministry of intercession cover? What all does that involve? And it involves several things. First of all, it, it mentions in our text here the salvation of the lost. But it's not just the salvation of the lost. That's a beginning point, and that certainly ought to be at the top of the list. But also, we ask for God's blessing on other Christian workers. Now, part of the prayer meeting here tonight was to pray for missionaries and to other things that will be brought to our attention. As I've already mentioned, we prayed for our missionary in Romania tonight. And that causes us to remember the ministry of other Christian workers. Everyone is so desperately in need of the Lord's blessing. All of us need the Lord's help in our lives, in our, in our ministries. And so we, we beg for the Lord's blessing on other uh, Christian workers. And we, that's why we keep the list of our Sunday school teachers and all those before us in the bulletin. And pray for them. Please pray for them. 
that's something we all can do. The greatest thing that we can do for one another is, is to pray for one another. We're to pray that the Lord would preserve his people in difficult situations. There are folks that work in dangerous situations. I think of our policemen and, and, and fire uh, personnel who work in those kinds of things who may work in, in dangerous uh, factories or whatever, but not just in the physical danger, but there may be some in working situations who are in, in great places of great temptation. And uh, we need to ask, they, they must have the job. We don't know all the circumstances about it, but there's great temptation there that the Lord would preserve his people and protect them. James 5.16 says, Pray for one another. And it reminds us there that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much we are to intercede for the spiritual growth of fellow believers i think that the greatest thing a husband or wife can do for their mate is to pray for their spiritual growth and uh, there's so many things in, in, in as well as our children those other close relationships that we're in but we're to, we're to keep a watch on that and be concerned when we see that they may not be growing as spiritually as, as they should uh, and ask the Lord to, to bless and help them and to keep them right and to intercede on their behalf and for their peace and that God would use other fellow believers mightily. We should want everyone's ministry to be enlarged and blessed and, and the Lord to, to use them in, in a mighty way and uh, to remember them in that way. We're to pray for the healing of others. And uh, we rejoice uh, even today hear, hearing reports from, from folks in our congregation that the Lord has, has answered prayer in, in, in that, this area. Well, that, that ought to be a part of what we do. We can ask the Lord to intervene and guide the doctor's hands and the treatments or whatever they're going through. And some of those will be on our list in, in that way as well. We're to pray for God's hedge of protection. I think of all of our children there's not a, a Sunday that doesn't go by that I don't pray for the physical protection of all the children here. Uh, not just the ones who ride the buses, but of course that. And that's a whole other area of praying. The, it, we, I pray for mechanical things, technological things, safety and protection of children. But in this wicked, sinful world that we live in, to pray for God's hedge of protection on all these little ones, and that they would not be harmed in any way, philosophically, not just physically, which is a major concern of all of us, but think about the, the horrible lies and philosophies that, that ruin their thinking, that they get through media and others around them who would distort their thinking and drive them away from their parents' teaching and from their Sunday school teachers' teaching and their school teachers. And it's such a serious, serious matter. Well, in thinking about this matter of intercession, we have several examples in the Bible, but I want to just touch on three of them as we close tonight. I've already mentioned the first one, the example of Abraham's praying for Lot. We find it there in Genesis chapter 18, and as I study that portion of Scripture again, I, re I re was struck with, with Abraham's candidness with the Lord. Now, we should never be disrespectful and uh, that's a very serious matter. He's the great creator God and our heavenly father. But when Abraham talks to the Lord, is a remarkable uh, example of, uh, uh, for lack of better words, bargaining with the Lord. Now, we see Abraham's humanness and God's sovereignty on one side and the human instrument of asking for the Lord to, to work in a certain way. Abraham is candid. He is persistent. He keeps on praying 
uh, about this matter. And his, he tells the Lord his attributes and pointing out what he said he would do. You'll not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. You see, Abraham didn't have all the facts. He thought there was much more righteous people in Sodom than there were. And so he starts with a much higher number than were actually, was actually there. And the Lord appeared to Abraham with, with two angels to investigate uh, Sodom. Now, let me ask you, that's a very interesting thing, isn't it? That the Lord would come down in human form with, because he calls him Lord when he begins to intercede. And two angels, two heavenly visitors. Remember, the Lord does not go to Sodom with uh, the, the angels who do go. And uh, they come to, to, to see what was going on. Now, we see that another example in Genesis where the Tower of Babel, the Bible says the Lord come, comes down to see what men are doing. That's not because he doesn't already know. God knows in heaven every, the beginning from the end. So when he comes to Abraham's house to see what's going on, who is he coming for? He's coming to let Abraham know, I'm about to do something drastic in this earth. And he's letting Abraham know, he's letting him in on what he's going to do. And the Lord has done the same way. We have the secret things of the Lord are revealed to us in his word. We know that there's coming a day when the Lord is going to end things as they are. When the earth is going to be destroyed. We know that there's a judgment coming, don't we? We know that once a person dies, it is too late to pray for them, as some erroneously teach. They're already where they're going to be. You can't pray someone out of hell. It is too late to intercede and start the ministry of intercessory prayer once a loved one dies. If you're going to pray for them, you better do it now because it will be too late. We know those things. So we know much more than Abraham does. Now, the Lord did not specifically tell us what city he's going to destroy or when he's going to send final judgment, but we know it's coming. We know that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And because of that, it ought to move us to, to pray. All of us are just a heartbeat from eternity, and not just old people, young people. And we, none of us know when that time will come, and so this is a very urgent matter. He knew the Lord was going to send great destruction, and we do as well, don't we? And a severe judgment for Sodom's sordid immorality. We're living in Sodom day once again. And uh, it's, it's becoming prevalent all around us. A very similar situation, except it's not just a city. It's all society the world over. The scripture says in chapter Genesis 18, verse 22, that Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, we're not to emphasize the physical posture of Abraham. You can stand, you can pray standing, sitting, lying down, or whatever. That standing there is a position of uh, intercession. It is that he stand, when, you, when someone stands between, they're, they're taking the front line. And he's interse- he stood before the Lord. He took that place boldly to intercede for his nephew Lot. And I often think, what if Abraham had not? What if when the Lord came and said, I'm about to send destruction, and the angels went on to Lot's house, Abraham said, good enough for him. He's lived like the devil all these years. It's it's good. Just let him go ahead. No. He stood before the Lord. Oh, Lord, you're not going to destroy Lot. You know that Lot lives at Sodom. And the verse 23 says, Abraham drew near. 
Do you see what intercession causes? It causes us to draw near to the Lord in a way that we would not in other means of prayer. Communion and intercession go together. It draws our heart not only to the person that we're praying for, but to the Lord. James says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. That's a a promise in the Scripture. One of the most amazing in all the Bible. Draw near to God. How do we draw near to God? How else could we draw near to Him but in prayer? That's how we approach Him. That's how we feel His nearness. And I hear sometimes believers say, the Lord seems so far away. I always want to say, well, how near are you to Him? How, how fervent are you in your praying and, and pouring out your heart before Him? So He drew near to God, and Abraham began pleading. This is not just some, Lord, speak to, to Lot. You know, he's, he's in sin. He's not what he ought to be. He began to plead with the Lord. I think he was crying and, and pleading. It was urgency. His heart was, was moved uh, to save Lot from destruction. He believed his pleading would make a difference. And we do too. It would be hypocritical to pray for people and not to think that God could do something about it. But our prayerlessness proves that, doesn't it? That we don't think that God will move. He began to appeal to the justice of God. One of the reasons I point to Abraham as an example here is that he appeals to the attributes of God in answering this prayer for Abraham. God is a just God, isn't he? And God can only do that which is right. In fact, he brings that up. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And it would be wrong... Because, and the only way we know right from wrong is how. God has told us this is right and this is wrong. We have it in his word. We know from God's word how to pray. It, it, at least in the broad sense of the term and guidelines. We know this, that God is just and that God will never destroy his own. That does not mean he does not take them to heaven. That he does not take them out in li- their lives. And that some people's lives, there are Christians who die tragically. But he will not utterly destroy Lot, will he, or any of his own. And so he's pleading to the Lord on behalf of Lot. He appeals to his sovereign and perfect will. Abraham appeals humbly. It's kind of a paradox here. Boldly yet humbly. We're to be bold where God tells us to be bold. If he says, prove me now herewith and see if I not pour you out a blessing from heaven, that's where we'd be bold. Now, we don't. We're not presumptuous in areas where he's not. But we know if, if, Abra- if God has come to Abraham and said, I'm about to destroy Sodom. And then that, he told him so. He knew that he would pray for his nephew Lot. He says, Behold, now I have taken you upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. I'm nothing, Lord. But I have taken it upon me to, to speak to you on behalf of Lot. He says, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will yet speak but yet this once. And he keeps on, doesn't he? He keeps on coming before the Lord. We should continually be humbling ourselves before the Lord. And we too are but dust. If Abraham is but dust and ashes, what are you? What am I? And we say, Lord, I, we're not worthy. It's not because of we deserve for you to answer our prayers, but you've told us to pray, and you're a holy and just You will answer prayer. You are concerned about the souls of men. And that's the basis of our intercession. We don't know who all will be saved. But we're to pray for all that we know that are lost. And that that we're concerned about. And that we're related to. 
and, and ask the Lord. There's a, there's a circumference of people that you come across that I never will come across, that you're related to, that I don't poss- couldn't possibly know. You're responsible then to intercede on behalf of those that the Lord crosses your path or allows you to know or work with. I don't know your co-workers, but you do. And what a sad and tragic thing it would be for them never to be interceded for or spoken to about their souls. We were speaking with a lady yesterday, and it just in the middle of the night, we were speaking to her about other matters. And, and uh, in the middle of the night, I woke up and think, why didn't I witness to that lady? The Lord so burdened my heart uh, for her. And I, I prayed for her and asked the Lord to open her heart and mind and prepare her for, for the gospel witness. And so that's, that's how we do it. We pray for others. We, we intercede for them. Abraham's prayers were heard, weren't they? We know that this whole record is given to us for us to intercede on behalf of others and, and answer it. Now, not in the way he expected. I think that Abraham thought that God would spare Sodom. Do you see how even a, a, a saint of God of Abraham's caliber doesn't have a crystal ball, doesn't know every detail of God's will, but he can pray, and he prayed to his best of his ability as far as his knowledge went. I think that Abraham thought that God would bypass and change his judgment, but God, the very justice that Abraham is calling out to for him not to destroy Lot is the very justice that had to destroy Sodom. He said, this is what I'm going to do. God will destroy sin. He will punish sin. And so Abraham's prayer was answered, as so often ours is, are not exactly as we think he will, go, he will but he answers it much better than we could ever uh, answer it. Didn't Abraham desire for Lot to be removed from Sodom? Well, that's exactly what happened. So when we pray, we often look back and say, well, Lord, I didn't know you were going to do it that way. I didn't know this is how the Lord was going to answer the prayer. But I was praying for something this morning, and I thought, well, Lord, that may mean my life. That may mean you taking me home. And I bowed before him and said, well, if that's your will, then so be it that Jesus Christ be glorified. But not only is Abraham a, a, a prime picture of interceding, but... But Moses is as well. And Moses has my heart because even though we couldn't technically call him a pastor, he served as the, the leader of the children of Israel. Can you imagine having a church of two million people in it? And most of the time they were wayward, stubborn, often speaking against Moses and blaming him and blaming his integrity, calling his very uh, uh, motives into question. You just brought us out here to kill us. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? This is all your fault, uh, Moses. And it wasn't Moses' idea to lead them out of Egypt. All of that was at uh, the Lord's hands. In Exodus chapter 32, God prospered Moses and tells him that if, if he would destroy the Israelites in judgment, this is a test the Lord gives to he, Moses, no doubt, was so frustrated with them that God offers to destroy them. And, and, but Moses cried out, for them passionately. He said, Lord, you can't do that. He pled with the Lord on the basis of his own name and character, which is another illustration for how we're to pray. We're to pray the very character of the Lord when we, when we, in his attributes when we're interceding for others. He reminded God of his word. Lord, you can't do that. 
It would violate your word. His promise is made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, I, you can't destroy the children of Israel because you've made uh, unconditional promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that must be fulfilled. And the Lord accepted that prayer, and Israel was preserved. Now, they were at a crossroads. God was about to bring great judgment upon Israel and to, to destroy if not all of them, much of them, in his sovereignty, he could have raised it up in a different way and never violated his attributes. I don't know how he would have done all that. But Moses said, no, no, no. You've promised to Abraham. You've promised to Isaac and Jacob. You can't destroy your people. Our aim in intercession is the first and foremost, God's honor and his glory. We want God to be glorified. We want him to be honored, not only in our lives and ministry, but in the lives of others. And how is he great, greatest, greatliest, that's not a word, how is he most honored and glorified is in the salvation of people, turning them around, making them think right, and serving him. He expects you and me to intercede passionately for people. Think about it as your own soul, your own child's soul your own uh, needs, as passionate as you are about them, we should be for others. God has placed those among us that we should pray for, our fellow church members, our family members, our neighbors and co-workers. Not only do we see Abraham and Moses, but we also see Samuel, godly Samuel, the, the prophet to Saul and uh, in Saul's ministry. And Samuel constantly his righteous soul was vexed over Saul, this unregenerate king who just vexed him over and over and over again. Samuel was given and born, as you'll remember, in direct answer to prayer, wasn't he? Do you remember Hannah's prayer? We often pray Hannah's prayer when we dedicate babies here. Oh, Lord, give me a son. I will loan him to you all the days of my life. And the Lord heard Hannah's prayer. And Samuel, the intercessor, was born in direct answer to his mother's prayer. In fact, his name means asked of the Lord. Well, in, in 1 Samuel twelve twenty three, he tells the people, and I have this verse at the heading of the section of list of names I pray for, God forbid that I should sin against you in ceasing to pray for you. Now, Samuel said it is a sin for us not to pray for those that God has, expects us to intercede for. As the high priest of my home, as the, the husband and the father of my home, it would be, I would be sinning against my, my children and grandchildren not to pray for them. As your pastor, to not, not just to pray for you, but to passionately plead for your, your needs before the throne of grace. Think about that. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing, not just sin against you, but sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. What a powerful text. And that ought to, to, to be emblazoned in our hearts and minds in this matter, matter of praying. If we neglect to intercede for others, we sin against the Lord because he has given us this ministry. It is a, a ministry of neglect not to, to be an intercessor. And it shows a hardness of heart. How could we not pray for those in if that's the means that God does his will and his work, how can we not pray for our church and our Sunday school teachers and, for, and have this indifference to others? Samuel says that he should not cease to pray. This is an ongoing, never-ending ministry. Now, there will be a time because of, uh, in the Lord's will, 
because of age and who knows in physical situations that I'll not be able to perform all the ministries that I can right now. But I'll tell you, as long as you've got breath and mind and you're here on earth, you can pray right into the throne room of God. I mentioned recently uh, being at the deathbed of my father-in-law. The last things he did on earth was to pray audibly for his children and grandchildren right before he was ushered into the very presence of God. Think about that. We can pray our way to the other side. This ministry never ends. What's this most vital of ministries? And we, too, should not cease. We should have a daily time of interceding for others, our family, our colleagues, our, our certain unsaved people that the Lord places on your heart. And let me just say something else about that. We all know just an unending list of lost people. But I believe, as I mentioned personally, there are certain people that God will just place on your heart as a burden. Their names and faces constantly come before your mind. Their condition, their hardness, they're just the direction of their life. It ought to break our hearts. And and there'll be for people and that list will change that their names will change and sometimes by, because of circumstances but uh, that we can't pray for everyone time would not permit for us to pray for everyone that we're that we know they're lost but we should do our best to have a system of praying for those that god brings across our mind or burdens our heart with notice that samuel cried unto the lord the word cried shows strong earnestness and desire the Bible records Samuel as one of the, the noted intercessors in the Scripture. Psalm 99, we read, Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. These three are given by the psalmist as the key intercessors of the Old Testament. Moses and Aaron among his priests, interceding for the people of God, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, and they call upon the Lord. And you know what the, the Psalm, 80, Psalm 99 says? And he answered them. I love that. They didn't just call in a vacuum without ever seeing any results. They called and he answered. Is that not what prayer is all about? Vague praying gets vague answers. We should call names specifically and ask the Lord to do certain things for specific people. We should feel for those that we pray for. And if we don't feel as we should, Lord, touch my heart for their need. Oh, how I'd want somebody to pray for me if I was in that situation. And, and, and ask the Lord to work in our heart. Do you see how interceding really helps keep us have a soft heart? We can become so jaded. You know, I will have to tell you, as a pastor and as one who deals with problems, that uh, sometimes you, the, the problems may seem so in, insurmountable that this is the antidote for just having a hard heart toward things and toward, uh, toward people as well. Well, we should feel for those that we're praying for and, and thinking about the terror of them being eternally lost or what it would be to have a lost child, and maybe some of you do, and pray for the other persons like you want your child to be saved. We should labor. And this is one of the, the labors. We talk about the Lord's work. This is truly one of the areas, of de, our departments, we might say, of the Lord's work. And, and it, it's an act of toil to maintain it. We should pray persistently and regularly and never relaxing until the Lord answers or, or until he calls us home. I don't think all of our prayers will be answered in this life. I think every prayer will be answered 
but some of the answers to the prayers that we're praying transcend our span of time here on earth. I pray every day that not one of my descendants come to go to hell. I pray that God will save every one of them. When the Lord tarries is coming, I'll not see the answer to that prayer. But that prayer is still heard and recorded in heaven. And God is no doubt answering prayers even now that our, our forefathers have prayed for us. Think about the prayers and prayer meetings in this building that some saints have been gone home to be with the Lord years and years and years ago. You know, there was a group of ladies who met downstairs in the, the kitchen. Miss Schlichter, and I forgot who all of them were there. Mom Griffin, and these names are, are strange to some of you. Some of you knew these ladies. And they met every week to pray for Tom Anderson, who lived on the next block. And Brother Anderson's now home with, with the Lord. He came through when he told me by his own testimony. They met and prayed for him. He came through the kitchen. He was collecting bottle tops or something, and he said he came through the, the building there, and he heard them call out his name before the throne of grace. And he said, Mom uh, Griffin said, Lord, you know what a sinner Tom Anderson is. He's a notorious sinner. If you don't save him, he's going to split hell wide open. He said, I wasn't saved immediately. Later on, the preacher came and called on me and talked with me, talked to me. He said, but I couldn't get away from those, those prayers that I heard them calling my name out in prayer. Well, that one example alone ought to behoove us all to, to be interceders for others. We should be careful to, to esteem believers when we pray for them. That our prayer, Peter Masters writes this, does not become a superior or condescending act as though we were praying for needy inferiors. The fallen heart is so subtle, and prayer should never be contaminated by that kind of, of a proud spirit. And that's why interceding kind of levels that and, and deals with that in our hearts and lives. And then he writes this, It is well known that the American 1858 revival began with the widespread intercession of inter individuals that would meet for prayer meetings at the noonday hour, and that revival spread across America. The effects of it went to England, and a vast revival was spread across the world. I would say we've not seen a revival like that since 1856. We, in this country, saw the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, the awakening of 1856. But what if God would send another Great Awakening in this day of darkness, in this time where it seems I think most people who truly know the Lord have almost thrown up their hands, it seems, and as, as, act as if God is, is preoccupied or doesn't care about this day and time. I don't believe that for one instant. I know the day is dark and the hour is late, but wouldn't it bring great glory to Jesus Christ to have a great harvest of souls just before he comes back again? He tells us to pray for that. And that's, what we, well, that's why we meet for prayer. And men, if you'll come and lead us tonight, let's remember this. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And let me ask you, as they lead us in prayer tonight, if y'all come, let's pray. You pray alongside the prayer. Pray specifically for certain names of lost people that you know. Let's pray for that. And let's ask the Lord to send another great awakening. Uh, th think of those two little ladies who prayed, and the Lord sent D.L. Moody, and revival swept across England. Just a simple ladies meeting and pleading for the Lord. And we could go on and on about the great revivals that can be traced back for humble believers 
just calling on the name of the Lord. So I want you to pray for, for specifically folks that are burdening your heart for their salvation and ask the Lord to send revival and to start right here in this prayer meeting in this church tonight.